2: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows
0: podcast with George Galloway.
2: My
3: editor, who's very much older than me, has just accused me of showing my age. It's Justin Trudeau. I'm glad that his father's not alive to hear me make that mistake. Viva Fidel. Uh, The Canadian Prime Minister, though, has taken flight from Ottawa as the entire city has become log jammed, a kind of gigantic truck, I don't know, a a pile-up. There's no room for any more trucks in Ottawa. What a great idea. I wish I'd thought of that. Thousands and thousands of Canadian truckers have taken to the highways of Canada, and they are many and big, uh, in order to demonstrate their... Rejection of the idea of the state forcing you to take a vaccination. This forcible medication would be difficult to justify in any circumstances. Certainly, I have always opposed it. But where it's an experimental vaccine that hasn't gone through the usual rigmarole before a vaccine is Uh, finally passed, fit for human purpose, it's clearly ridiculous and entirely counterproductive. I speak as a triple-jabbed man myself because I trust my doctor and she told me to take it. But if Boris Johnson had passed a law forcing me to take it, well, that would quite likely have made me stand up and refuse... Do you see where I'm going here? And it's always the liberals that turn out to be the most authoritarian people on the planet. Take a look at social media and you can see the witch hunting of Djokovic, uh, the hatred of the truckers. Canadian Broadcast Corporation, CBC, actually said on its flagship news program, that Vladimir Putin was behind the Canadian truckers. I did find and post a picture of President Putin driving one of the Canadian trucks. But whilst he might be on the convoy, he definitely didn't organize it. That was homegrown Canadian work. But the idea that hardworking blue collar men and women, truck drivers, should be smeared as Russian assets because they're standing up for their freedom to decide whether or not to take a vaccine tells you almost everything that you need to know about the current state of left versus right, where cross-dressing, forgive me, has become the order of the day. That which was right is now left. That which is left is now right. I said almost enough to sum up where we are today. But the Spotify row over Joe Rogan surely takes the biscuit. Now, I'm one of the few people on the planet, it seems, who has never set eyes on Joe Rogan or heard his voice in any form or medium, although many of my friends say that he's absolutely terrific. But though I cannot testify to that, I am prepared to say that if Spotify cancelled Joe Rogan, I'm cancelling Spotify. But Spotify so far are standing up to the pressure. Mind you, it was first applied by somebody called Neil Young, who last had a hit record in the 1970s. He said, it's Joe Rogan or me. And Spotify said, well, in that case, we'll take Joe Rogan. But then Joni Mitchell, of all people, the poster girl uh, of, of liberalism, the California Canadian icon of freedom She took her music off in protest at Spotify's refusal to remove Joe Rogan. And now they're queuing up to threaten that they will withdraw their music from Spotify. Uh, Except James, is it Blunt or Hunt? James Blunt, he was beautiful once. He threatened to download more music, upload more music onto Spotify if they dare to cancel Joe Rogan. I'm gonna buy some blunt uh, music, uh, although I was never his biggest fan. But you see where I'm going with this? This kind of political cross-dressing has now become utterly bewildering. Just last weekend, on my drive down from Scotland to London, in the course of my journey, I discovered that hundreds of people were earnestly discussing whether or not I had a mean and harsh attitude to refugees and maybe a rampant transphobe. Neither allegation of which, of course, is true, but serious people discuss this and then block you and cancel you because somebody said, you were a transphobe or that you were against refugees. This kind of cancel culture has grown grotesquely quickly and it's gone far. We've got a a poll on it. Should all artists boycott Spotify until they sack Joe Rogan? A, yes, B, no. Please vote now on my Twitter account or on my YouTube channel or on my Telegram channel. That's not, of course, all that we're going to be discussing this evening. We'll be talking in a minute to one of the very brightest young men I've come across in many years. He is the youngest RT correspondent in Moscow. He's American. He'll uh, continue to be the youngest for some time, as I was once I tell him myself, I was once the youngest ever everything. I've got the newspaper cuttings that show me as the youngest ever this, that and the next thing. He won't remain the youngest forever, but he is so good, I predict a very big future for him. We're going to be talking to him regularly from Moscow this time about Ukraine and whether or not there's going to be a war. It seems to me that the fox has been shot. It's been shot not just by Russia, which has maintained resolutely from the beginning that it has absolutely no intention of invading Ukraine, but it's been shot again from the president of Ukraine. If he's not careful, Joe Biden is going to regime change him and replace him per the Sunday Times with a better president, that is more friendly towards the United States. The president of Ukraine says this has all been a disaster for Ukraine. It's wiped billions off the share price of Ukraine. It's got people fleeing from what has now become a Potemkin state. When Ukraine became independent, it had a population of 52 million. That's more than 30 years ago. Its population now should be, on that basis, 70 million. But it's actually now 33 million and falling. And people are packing and running, including the diplomats of the countries that are determined to provoke a war to to every last Ukrainian. They want to fight Russia with the blood of the Ukrainian people. And certainly the wreckage that they have wrecked now on the Ukrainian economy is plain to see. If you don't have to believe me, you can believe the Ukrainian government themselves. We'll be talking also about the 50th anniversary which falls on this very day of the mass murder of 14 unarmed civilian marchers on a civil rights march in Derry. 50 years have gone by. 14 people were shot dead. I think 26 or 36 people in total were shot. But 14 of them were shot dead in the United Kingdom. Imagine if it had happened in London. Imagine if it had happened in Manchester. 14 civilians shot dead. Of course, the murderers were in the uniform of the British Army, the parachute regiment to be precise. We even know who the murderers were, although Boris Johnson has now made it impossible for the surviving murderers ever to be brought to justice before the courts, even though the British state in the Savile Inquiry and in David Cameron's, I think heartfelt apology, has accepted absolute responsibility for murder. The murder of Irish people who were British citizens and were shot dead by the British army for the crime of demanding civil rights on a peaceful march. Now, of course, the state lied comprehensively about it and appointed the liar-in-chief, Lord Justice Widgery, to falsely conclude in the Widgery inquiry uh, that shots were fired from the demonstration, casting doubt on whether the 14 dead Irish people had been carrying weapons had fired weapons, all of it was a lie, a bright, shining lie, a gigantic lie. It was murder most foul in broad daylight on television of innocent, unarmed protesters. It wasn't even a boisterous protest. It was more like the vigil that happened in Derry this day on which thousands took to the streets to remember the carnage that day and to express their support and sympathy, empathy with the families of those who were cruelly murdered that day. But it happened. It happened in my lifetime. I watched it on my television. I watched as Widgeray whitewashed the massacre And I watched when David Cameron came to the dispatch box to respond to the findings of the Savile Inquiry to declare that all of the British narrative that had gone before had been a pack of lies and that these innocent, unarmed people had all been murdered in plain sight by the British army. He expressed... An apology and compensation of sorts as if you can be compensated for your father or your brother, your son, being shot down dead in the street on Bloody Sunday 50 years ago today. We'll be talking about that also. We'll be talking about the United States with Garland Nixon where all kinds of wheels are turning. It is self-evidently clear, clearer with every press conference that President Biden shouldn't be left with any but his coat buttons that he might press accidentally. Where it is increasingly abundantly clear that you would not send Joe Biden out for a loaf. Abundantly clear that it is bordering on, if not over the border of elder abuse to pretend that this man is running the most powerful, violent country on the earth, for that is what it is. But here's the rub. If Joe Biden's not running America, who is? It's certainly not the vice president, Kamala Harris, whose ratings are plummeting lower and lower every week and are far lower even uh, than the semi-senile President Biden. Nobody's trusting Kamala Harris. In fact, she wants out. She's begun to brief the media that she never really wanted to be in the Washington bubble and is looking for ways out. So if not Biden and not Harris, who is running America? Well, a clue might be in the increased desperation to find a war to force other people to fight. And that isn't going well. NATO is splintering apart in front of our eyes. Germany wants nothing to do with a military confrontation with Russia, maybe because they have some experience of that Matter. France wants nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, France and Germany and Ukraine and Russia are about to have their own four party talks cutting out the United States because increasingly it is obvious to more and more European countries that the United States is ready to fight wars to the last drop of their blood. The Slovakian president said that he'd withdraw all Slovak troops from NATO if war broke out at US behest in the Ukraine. And he wasn't the only one. The Bulgarians have made it clear. No, we're all right, Joe. Don't send any American troops over here We don't need them and we don't want them. It is beginning to be clear that the strategic decision to exclude Russia from the European security architecture upon the fall of the Soviet Union so that they could still have an enemy to justify their presence and their spending on weapons, was a great mistake. As I said here last week, Russia is a European, Christian, capitalist country. There is no reason whatsoever for it to be the enemy of other European, Christian, capitalist countries. No reason except uh, the determination of the United States to exclude Russia for its own geopolitical purposes. But the law of unintended consequences, as it often does, has kicked in. The US allies in Europe are beginning to question the value of the European United States relationship. And Russia has grown ever closer to China where the sun is very definitely rising. The Chinese are kickboxing while we are tickboxing. I see that our uh, Moats TV Twitter account uh, went over 10,000 yesterday. Congratulations to those involved in that. If you're not following Moats TV on Twitter, please do. There's no point in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of you just following me You need to follow my show uh, also, Um, and uh, you can do that uh, on Twitter. Now, look, we're launching a a brand new, absolutely groundbreaking podcast series tonight. You won't want to miss that. It's called Maxwell the Monster. Which Maxwell? Wait and see. And at 8.30, you're going to hear all about it. I won't spoil the surprise. Stay tuned, please, for that. Now, our first guest uh, of the evening. I've already given him a big build-up. I'll not repeat it. He's a very clever, smart young man from the United States, but coming to us from Moscow, where he works for RT. His name is Donald Korter, and I welcome him now. Donald, welcome uh, for the first time, but not the last, I think, uh, to the mother of all talk shows. Now, in my opening remarks, I implied, more than implied, explicitly stated uh, that neither Russia nor Ukraine want a war. It seems that it's the United States and its vassals, particularly the United Kingdom, that are really pushing the envelope on all this. Is that how it looks to you in Moscow?
4: Hey there, George. Well, thanks a lot for uh, inviting me on the show again. It's always a pleasure. Um, yeah, I would say it does look like that. I mean, I heard your uh, introductory statement. I thought you hit the nail right on the head when you said that, um, you know, a lot of NATO countries, leaders of NATO countries are saying they're not you know ready to commit to some sort of armed conflict in Ukraine it sounds crazy to a lot of people and I'm sure they're no exception and you know there are European leaders who are saying that they're not going to allow their militaries to participate in such a um in in such an engagement that is obviously you know part of the foreign policy of the United States um and that much I think is clear and evident by the fact that NATO said there will be no uh, dedication of NATO troops in Ukraine to fight some sort of war. Um, and, you know, it all ties into this uh, this sort of myth that the United States has uh, forged around what's going on in East Ukraine, and that the Kiev government has, uh, has also said as, you know, a willing, um, you know, uh, a willing partner in this Um, attempt to basically put pressure on Russia, if you will, that everyone in East Ukraine and these breakaway uh, provinces are just, you know, Russian occupiers or something. I've been there many times. I'm filming a documentary film right there. And I didn't see any Russian occupation when I went there. We interviewed normal people, as well as the uh, administrations that are right now in charge of the country. They're locals there, you know.
3: Well, uh, if they can, uh, can organise a gigantic truck cavalcade in Canada, uh, it's not beyond uh, Russia's capability uh, to have uh, done that, but they didn't. Um, and there's a, a sense of unreality about it all. I, I heard on the BBC today uh, sonorously announced that Boris Johnson was going to double the number of British troops sent to Eastern Europe. In fact, it's Estonia only. But when you drill down, you discover it's doubled from 800 soldiers to 1,500 soldiers. Now, they keep telling us, although the number often varies, uh, that Russia has 120,000 soldiers in Ukraine, on the border, rather, uh, with Ukraine. Um, And so there's is there's a bit of the sort of flea and the elephant about it uh, all. I mean, the only people who could fight Russia is America. The Italian armed forces are not going to fight Russia. The Dutch armed forces, if they have them, are not going to fight uh, Russia. So do American people know that if this becomes a shooting war, it's them that will be fighting Russia, nobody else?
4: Uh, well, as an American, I mean, I've been living in Russia for around four years now, so I've been away uh, from home for a little while. But I can tell you as an American, when things like this happened in the past, I mean, when we saw the Iraq war or the um, the the bombing of Libya with the death of Muammar Gaddafi, as an American who was in the United States who had never traveled abroad before, I mean, the kind of stuff the media tells us and what the government is telling us, uh, you know, it really seems like yeah, just all of, the free world is on board for this kind of stuff but you know i really got a different perspective when i moved to russia you know because i saw how uh you know russians uh, relate to this stuff and i i was uh, i had closer exposure to uh european media and it's not so black and white i mean a lot of european countries they're not really into this idea of uh of starting trouble with russia especially because Europe. Um, is seriously reliant on Russian gas to solve this uh, energy crisis that's going on. I mean, the United States wants to ship more super expensive liquefied natural gas to Europe when there's the you know the Russian there's Nord Stream two there's the Russian pipelines that are going to send natural gas to Europe at a, a way cheaper price. And you know when, when you have to make a choice between those two uh, for Europe. It's not so clear as the United States wants to make it out to be. It's not just between, you know, freedom and authoritarianism. This is just some fake dichotomy. And I think a lot of Europeans know that, especially uh, Germans, you know, German, the German government uh, seems to not be so fond of uh, what the United States and uh, and the UK, like you said, are see, seem to be doing in Ukraine. I mean, uh, you mentioned that Boris Johnson wanted to double the amount of UK troops near uh, Russia's border, that came not so long after Biden, uh, Biden's plans to possibly uh, send more US troops to near the Russian border w- were announced. And it, of course, it's also the US and the UK that are sending the most, um, you know, what they call defensive and also lethal aid to Ukraine. It's, it, most of it's coming from the United States and the UK.
3: Lethal aid, it's got a ring to it that I must say. There always seems to be a pipeline in these stories. Uh, from Afghanistan to the Ukraine, Germany, Russia. Um, How much of this is about forcing Europe uh, to cut itself off from Russian gas and choose instead the more expensive, more environmentally unfriendly uh, liquid gas from the United States?
4: I think that's been one of the core causes for, for years. I mean, throughout, uh, even even from before uh, my Euromaidan happened in 2014, this was uh, a sore point between the United States and Russia. You know, um, the United States wanted a hold on those energy markets. I mean, we look at the invasion of Iraq, right? Oil was involved there. We look at uh, the, uh, you know, the bombing of Libya. It's all connected to the energy markets, and this really is uh, no exception but you know like uh, the, the United States is basically it's one selling point on its liquefied natural gas is that Europe's going to be buying from you know the good guys, the guys who are not trying to hold Europe uh, hostage, as they say in Washington. But you know Russia's just saying we've got gas, it's a lot cheaper. We can offer it to you at a reasonable price. and especially during a time when energy you know there's an energy crisis. And I would say uh, the, the reason for the energy crisis a lot, Of that has to do with uh, European countries, uh, some of the main European countries jumping the gun on uh, green energy policies and kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
3: Well, undoubtedly, uh, and that's of course most acute in Germany, where where nuclear energy was was thrown out with the bathwater in a in a spasm of greenery, uh, leaving them uh, dependent for fifty percent. Uh, of their energy requirements uh, on gas. Uh, and Britain, which once led the world on nuclear energy development, is in very real danger uh, of doing the same thing. Uh, now, let me ask you this. You don't speak for Russia any more than I do. Uh, but as a, as a journalist and broadcaster, let me ask you what you think. Um, Russia, I, I think we both agree Russia isn't going to invade Ukraine, but it will make what they call military technical moves elsewhere in the near abroad and in the far abroad to answer the refusal of the United States to even acknowledge properly, let alone accede to, uh, the principle Russian security concerns, which are membership of NATO for more and more countries in its, uh, in its backyard and bordering it, particularly Georgia and the Ukraine. If the West will not rule out membership for these two countries, Russia is going to respond. They say on the military technical level. What do you think they mean by that?
4: Well, in my opinion, I mean, I've been following the story uh, really closely, and one of the things that started to really pop into the media, specifically after uh, the American ambassador to Moscow, John Sullivan, gave America's answer to Russia's request for uh, security guarantees, a proposal for security guarantees, like you said, so that NATO doesn't expand into Ukraine and Georgia, right after uh, the United States officially basically rejected those proposals, We saw a lot of talk about how Russia is now, um, you know, uh, having talks with countries in Latin America, specifically Cuba and Venezuela, about uh, closer military cooperation. You know, we don't exactly know what that means uh, yet, but, you know, a lot of people are calling this the the new Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, and if Russia has no way uh, to, to diplomatically you know, deal with this situation. It's it's possible that the only way that they'll be able to defend their interests is through some sort of deterrence by make by evening the odds. Perhaps putting, uh, you know, their own uh, military or weapons in countries like Cuba or Vene- or Venezuela that are right on the United States doorstop. I mean, it is important to note that um, Russia did respond to these accusations, saying that uh, that they're not thinking of anything like that specifically because they don't want to compromise. Uh, The possibility of, uh, they were talking about Cuba, of normalizing relations uh, with the United States. Uh, Personally, I don't think there's going to be any normalization of relations between Cuba and the United States. I think the United States will not rest until uh, that government is overthrown, unfortunately. But that's the Russian position. We could see a turnaround, you know, because uh, uh, there will be uh, closer cooperation between Russia and these Latin American allies that Russia has.
3: And what about uh, Belarusia? As the name suggests, uh, uh, essentially, Belarus and Russian people are the same people. Uh, Is there any possibility, do you think, of Belarus joining the Russian Federation?
4: Um, I don't really think so, uh, just because they already actually, the, the... relationship the Belarusian government has with the Russian one is already very open. I mean, for example, uh, Russians can travel to Belarus without even going through a, uh, like a border, a border patrol. They have a visa-free regime. They can go whenever they want. Um, And there's a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of things that are made very easy for Belarusians trying to go to Russia and uh, back and forth. Uh, I don't really see why either country would want to integrate I mean, we' we're definitely we definitely see that after what happened with Lukashenko and the uh, the liberal protests, the p- potential color revolution uh, that was attempted not so long ago, uh, Lukashenko was obviously working closer with uh, Vladimir Putin. and that much was seen when there was an attempted color revolution in in Kazakhstan, when the CSTO uh, went in there to on a peacekeeping mission, and uh, the government eventually got everything under control. We saw negotiations or not negotiations, but like cooperative talk between uh, the Belarusian government and the Russian government, I think they're going to see eye to eye, you know, throughout the whole Ukrainian conflict. Basically, Belarus does not want another uh, NATO or even just pro-Western government on its doorstep. And Russia doesn't either. So I don't know if they're going to be integrating. I don't don't know if there's any economic reason for that. But they're definitely going to be working in close cooperation, even closer than uh, before these, uh, these protests started in Belarus just uh, a couple of years ago, or last year.
3: On the other hand, in eastern Ukraine, uh, Russia has uh, said that its citizens that live there uh, can join the Russian military uh, if they choose and access Russian uh, benefits, state benefits. Uh, how significant a development is that?
4: Well, I think it's a significant development, and I think it all started when uh, this conflict broke out. The, the Lugansk and uh, Lugansk People's Republic and uh, Donetsk People's Republic declared independence from Ukraine, and you know their uh, electrical and water systems were connected to grids that were controlled by Kiev. And the Kiev government shut them down. So you know these people were without electricity and clean water for a while, basically until. Russian humanitarian convoys came to help them. They, they were that, that was the main help from Russia. And ever since then, um, you know Russia, the Russian government has done more and more to help the people of this region. Um, you know they, they don't recognize uh, the, these uh, provinces as part of Russia or even as independent people's republics, but they do recognize that a lot, a lot of people living there probably they would even consider the vast majority of people living there are ethnically Russian. And so the Russian government in the Russian Federation feels an obligation to help them. And like you said, yeah, the um, more and more benefits uh, from the Russian government are becoming available to people from those regions. It's become very, uh, well, a lot easier for people from Lugansk and Donetsk to get Russian citizenship if they so choose. Uh, that was uh, after Vladimir Putin uh, signed off on that just a couple of years ago. So, uh, and and while they do have their own passport systems, um, they're able to travel uh, into the Russian Federation freely, even with their own Lugansk and Donetsk passports. So, uh, yeah, they're, it's kind of like a similar situation as to what happened with, uh, I would say, South Ossetia after the, uh, the Georgia conflict.
3: Uh, finally, I said finally, but I really mean it this time. Uh, once uh, Putin's finished with the Canadian trucker uh, convoys, what next for him? He seems very relaxed, uh, quiet even about it all. It's uh, Lavrov that does the heavy lifting on the international stage. Um, I would have thought that this crisis has strengthened uh, Putin's position in Russia and indeed internationally.
4: I would say so as well, because, you know, the one thing that Vladimir Putin right now can pride himself on is that, Russia is a relatively stable country. I mean, you know, I've I've been living here for a long time. I lived in the United States uh, for most of my life. And it's like almost immediately after I moved to Russia, I saw that, you know, there's a lot less uh, di- social divisions here and there's a lot less social instability than there is in the United States, which is supposed to be the, the greatest country in the world, according to what we were told as kids, you know. So, you know, watching what has been happening on the TV, what's going on in Europe, in the United States, and then seeing what's going on in Russia, Russian people see their, the country they're living in as a stable place. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of that can be attributed to uh, Vladimir Putin's administration.
3: Donald, thanks for making your debut on the mother of all talk shows this evening. It is odd. Only the British could do this, I think. I- I'm not aware of anyone else who's done this. On this day in 1661, they dug up Oliver Cromwell from his grave. He had died two years previously. He was dug up, hanged in chains, and then beheaded. But he was already two years dead. He was a skeleton. And here's the PS that I used to tell visitors that I was showing round Parliament, uh, His head was put on a spike outside uh, the St. Stephen's entrance uh, to the House of Commons, one which my next guest and I have walked through uh, 10,000 times. It was put on a spike at St. Stephen's entrance. But overnight, it was nicked. It was stolen. So somewhere in England, it's never been recovered, somewhere in England, the head of Oliver Cromwell, which had been cut off when he was two years dead from natural causes, exists, maybe it'll pop up on eBay one day. My next guest might know where it is. He was my parliamentary colleague for many years and we worked together also in television. He was a Liberal Democrat, but he's better now. Yes, it's Lembet Opik. Lambert, thanks for... Uh, joining us. You're looking wonderful. Um feel
5: good. I've the, got a use for that spike, though, for one or two people, but <laughs> i not go any further.
3: Now, the proximate reason for my uh, inviting you this evening was to talk about Partygate because, well, how shall I put this? You you like a party yourself. <laughs> uh, were you shocked, shocked to learn uh, that the, that Downing Street had become a kind of Well, I was going to say bordello, but there's no evidence of that. But it's become a kind of, uh, well, party. Were you shocked?
5: Nothing could have surprised me less, George. The only thing that really surprised me was the fact it took so long for people to find out. Uh, The rumours were going round, you must have heard them as well, that all these things were taking place. But then he made a big mistake, didn't he, Boris Johnson? He got rid of the man who knew where all the skeletons were buried, not just Oliver Cromwell. So when you cross Dominic Cummings, who arguably he shouldn't have employed in the first place, you're going to get your comeuppance. Now, it's never been proved that Dominic Cummings is behind these revelations, but I don't think you have to be a genius to work out what might be the motivation.
3: Well, he did leave with a cardboard box, And uh, I remember thinking to myself when I saw that picture, I bet there's lots of evidence in that cardboard box.
5: He just had to know that uh, a few little USB sticks and maybe a few photographs, as we've now found out, might possibly have found their way into the media from a disgruntled former employee by way of Cummings. Now, let's remember that um, Boris was warned about him, about Dominic Cummings, long before, certainly informally, but he chose to go that path. And even that wasn't necessarily the the killer fact here. The fact is uh, that he'd actually conducted all of these activities uh, knowing that potentially there could be a spy in the camp. Let's face it, there were 30 or 40 people in his garden. How would he think that this well, that Well, that, I,
3: I think that's the bull point, really, Lambert. Uh, that's just stupidity. I mean, in this day and age, you can't do people like you and I uh, kind of semi-retired from public life. Even we wouldn't uh, do certain things in big enough company with people that we couldn't uh, be sure of that they're not taking pictures or recording with their phones. or. or, uh, I mean, how it didn't occur in the depth of uh, the first COVID lockdown the us having a jamboree here in the garden of Downing Street might be leaked.
5: Yeah, you're so right. Three huge, huge unforced errors by Boris Johnson. The first one is um, to make what I thought were actually quite impressive speeches, quite statesmanlike speeches at the time, but at the very same time be violating the rules he was telling us to introduce, uh, to, to follow. Second error, and I didn't realise how big this was at the time, is to legislate. Everyone has broken the rules with the best of intent. You just couldn't help doing it sometimes. But he did it in this way. He should have said to the country, I'm not going to bring the law in. Let's do this together. And then, of course, Keir Starmer and the Labour Party was too dumb to take that line themselves. I very much agree with what he said, by the way, about him, albeit potentially in jest. And then there's this third point. The third point is that Boris thought he could get away with it. There might have been a way out if he hadn't shown that level of, Self-assurance, but those three things together, I think uh, mean that it's uh, it's double fault. to use uh, a tennis term and, and he has to take the hit.
3: Well, uh, it's this week. I presume we'll see 50 shades of gray, Sue Gray. Um, is he going to get a lashing or will he get off lightly?
5: It's, it's, well, if he doesn't get a lashing from Sue Gray, my personal view is Sue Gray therefore undermines her own credibility. Because in the court of, of uh, uh, public opinion, Boris is already guilty. And th- the unfunny part about this is, with 150,000 dead people, or we can argue about the, the, the figures, but certainly many thousands of dead people, most of us know someone who died from Covid. And a lot of people couldn't even have a proper funeral. My agent, my former agent, Terry Mills, died of Covid and we couldn't go to his we- his funeral. And, and, and other people couldn't have their weddings, everything else cancelled. Boris just carried on regardless. And if Sue Gray really accepts that all you have to do to, to, to fool the Prime Minister into thinking a party's a meeting is wear a tie and turn up with all the booze in the suitcase, in that case, perhaps... Even if he was to get off lightly here, he wouldn't really have the common sense to govern. So I think that Sue Grace has just got to say, come on, uh, on the balance of probability, he's guilty. But we'll find out. The one really interesting thing here is, George, you were just talking about Ukraine. He's trying to look like a statesman now, but it's a bit late, Boris. You should have been doing that beforehand uh, rather than just saying, oh, look over there and let's let's hope that the party thing goes away.
3: Although uh, there is the potential get-out of uh, of the police activity, Cressida Dick, uh, the head of the Metropolitan Police, although it does, it's all very incestuous, isn't it? Uh, Cressida Dick is the head of the Metropolitan Police, and she's appointed her wife to uh, lead the investigation. Um, and as many people believe that she should have been forced to resign for a... or uh, Actually, I believe she should never have been appointed, but she's faced calls for her own resignation, but Boris has loyally stood by her. Many people think she's repaying uh, the favour, and she's appointed our wife to do the investigation. It's that time of the year. Your vacation
1: is coming up.
5: does seem to me that something absolutely smells dodgy here because what on earth was the rationale for saying, oh, well, Sue Gray can't publish her report because the police are doing an investigation? Are we expecting a jury trial? Because there's no other reason for doing that. They wouldn't have done it for anybody else. Why didn't they take this approach when Matt Hancock was caught rather red-handed? Now, why did Boris then say it was right for Matt Hancock to resign? So we've got this total contradiction. And I think that it's been a terrible error there. And perhaps it's because of the repaid favours. I don't know. But the two things are completely separate. You've got the Sue Gray report. You've got the police investigation. And if Sue Gray doesn't report this week, he might think this is going to disappear. But here's the problem. He's broken, if he's lied, he's broken the Mysterial Code, and he said last Wednesday, well, it applies to him as well. So if he lied, he has to go. It's simple, there's no debate. He has to hand a resignation into himself.
3: If, if it's concluded that he lied, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah, that yeah. she will so conclude. Um, and the, these, the police investigation is into something that you get a fixed penalty notice for it's not even a criminal conviction it's like getting a a traffic ticket you pay it and it's then wiped um so how that can hold up uh an investigation in whitehall is very difficult to understand
4: As,
5: as as i recall boris actually got uh Uh, an order against him for not paying council tax. It's a a CCJ, I think, county court judgment against him. He didn't resign. He's still got to be prime minister. So it's really strange. But you know what? This is a classic Al Capone moment. Al Capone being done for tax evasion when they all thought he'd done a lot more. Boris is being done, if if he is found guilty, or if Sue Gray reports, as I suspect she will, that something's gone wrong in Downing Street, that possibly turning up with his wife and kid when there were 40 people in his garden, might have given the clue he thought he was at the party. If he comes to that conclusion, as most of the British population has, then he's got himself into this mess because it looks like he wasn't straight. You know, George, the only reason I think he's still in his post is because Keir Starmer has done an absolutely abysmal job of holding him to account. Every Wednesday I watch PMQs expecting... Keir Starmer to do the obvious thing, asking five tight questions and a, maybe a sixth one. But instead he just blows it every time. There's no one even in the penalty area and he's missing the goal. So he's got Cressida Dick, who's um, shilly-shalling maybe around this, or maybe she is doing a great job, we'll see. And we've got Sue Gray who's postponing and we've got a leader of the opposition who just can't kick the ball into the, into oh. the gate.
3: He, he can't uh, kick the ball into the net, he can't land a blow. And we were always told that he was... Uh, Boring, but forensic. But if he's forensic, how come Boris Johnson is still standing?
5: Because he's not forensic. It's hard to believe that he's the leader of the opposition and they replaced somebody who, whether you liked him or not, Jeremy Corbyn, was absolutely clear in his narrative. You could dislike his narrative, but you'd understand it. Tony Blair may have made some catastrophic mistakes in terms of his own long-term legacy. But you know what? Boris would have already been toast by now. Boris would have had to resign because Tony Blair would have just um, done the sucker punch and, and that would have been the end of it. But Keir Starmer can't do it. I actually thought last week, oh, he's going to do it now because he's asking short tight questions. Does the ministerial code apply to you? Yes, no questions like that. And he could have given Boris enough rope to hang himself, but no, then he just stripped it off again.
3: So, yeah, I was particularly it, poor last uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Running out of time, Lambert. So let me ask, uh, it's not just that Keir Starmer is so patently incapable uh, of leading the opposition, knocking out the government. It's that the government is bereft of, uh, of challengers with any credibility. Uh, isn't that also the case? Tories are holding back because they look at that front bench and they can't really see anyone that can win parliamentary seats for the Conservative Party in uh, Bolsover, in County Durham, in Rotherham, etc., where Boris did win them.
5: Yeah, some truth in that. I actually think the stalking horses and the serious contenders are all keeping quiet because that's what they do in these leadership elections. Liz Truss Rishi Sunak clearly regarded as favourites. Penny Mordaunt may be a runner as well. They don't want to stick the head above the parapet, but the point you make is the big problem here. Boris was only in his position because he was an election winner, and he proved that. There's a big problem for him in May, because if on the first Thursday of May he's still in charge, it's quite possible they'll crash and burn in the local elections. Can somebody else do better? Probably. Privately, the one on the street with council candidates is they want him to go out of the way because he's an embarrassment. But who knows? Maybe he's the great Houdini. I doubt it. I would say the absolute longest he's going to be in post before he announces his departure is the first Friday of May. But I don't think he's going to get past the Sue Gray report. I think he'll basically have to say, I'm going to leave and there needs to be a leadership election. So they'll be quiet until the, the gates are open and the horse race begins. But as far as I'm concerned unfortunately for Boris who's a friend but he's toast
3: David Cameron perhaps rather riskily uh, said that Boris Johnson escapes from trouble like like a greased piglet it was an unfortunate metaphor <laughs> for Mr. Cameron because we later heard stories about him and piglets when they grow up but uh, he does have a Houdini like quality to him doesn't he
5: That's true. If Boris Johnson makes it back uh, or makes it through, it's the biggest comeback since Winston Churchill, because I've never known anyone go this deep in and dig themselves out again. But maybe he will make electoral or maybe he'll make political history. But he's still got the big problem. This is where we started, George. The Court of Public Opinion says you didn't let me bury my mother as I wanted to, but you were having parties in your own backyard, literally. And they all, all the other parties, too. Now, it wasn't at all of them. But you know what? There are more parties to come out, I believe. And how much more will the public stand? Eventually, I think David Davis has been the one true contender in terms of saying it like it is from the back uh, bench when he said it's time to go. But we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll be the first to come on, uh, on air and say, I was completely wrong. Boris is going to go on and on. I just don't see it. Now's the time to put your money, but the odds are short.
3: Lembidobic, thanks for joining us on well, the pleasure. mother of all talk shows. Should all artists boycott Spotify until they sack Joe Rogan? Yes, 17%. No, 83% some, uh, polls, on polls, my Twitter media. feed. On YouTube, uh, yes, 21%. percent uh, chew no, uh, How come more. these polls uh, always end up 80% to 20%? Maybe that's the split of the GG lovers and haters that tune into moats. <laughs> Joe Rogan is very cool, by the way, says Chewy. Not as cool as our Georgie Galloway, but still very cool. I must look him up. Uh, Paul P says, I voted no, of course, but when I find out that the cheeky girls are also thinking of leaving, nothing moved in me. Now, I wish you'd written that before I interviewed Lembit Opik for reasons which you may or may not grasp. Um, Paul Smith, ex-Labor, says Rogan influences a lot of young people with his conspiracy theories about the COVID vaccine. There is no medical evidence for his assertions. I don't know if that means Paul thinks he should be cancelled, therefore. Uh, Paul Gerald says the irony of cancel culture is that it can make the cancelled person even more famous. I've not listened to anything of Joe Rogan's yet. I don't really know anything about him. Now I feel obliged to tune in. Quite right, Paul. The book they tried to ban always goes to the top of the bestseller list. Here's Paul in Salford on Partygate. Go ahead, Paul. Hello. Good evening, sir. Good evening to you. Welcome. Go ahead. Okay, so
6: uh, it's going to be the uh, mother of all uh,
3: whitewashes uh, Party
6: Gate. Uh, uh, even a blind man could see that a couple of weeks ago, George.
3: Do you think the, that Sue Gray, Fifty Shades of Gray, uh, will, will pull out of the tackle, or will the police come to Boris's aid? I think she'll pull out of the
6: tackle, and I also believe that the police um, will pull back. Um, They're not going to crucify either Boris
3: Johnson or the rest of his cohorts. Um, They're
6: they're all in it together, George.
3: Mm. Well, I I have an unpopular view, an unpopular view in this studio even. Uh, I think Partygate is a damp squib. Although Lambert kept saying the public were up in arms about it, I have yet to meet a member of the public that is up in arms about it. I think it uh, brings forth a shrug from most people. Most people expect that kind of behaviour from their rulers. They shouldn't, they oughtn't, but I think that, that they do. I also believe that Boris Johnson will survive uh, Sue Gray and... Cressida, Dick. And I think if the polls continue to move in the direction now that they are moving, the Tories just four points behind after all of this, I don't think that the May Council elections will be a disaster for the Conservatives. That's my take. It's my honest take as, a, as an observer of politics for a long time, Paul. Last word to you. Yes, sir. I, I think it was about
6: two weeks um, difference between your birthday and mine in August of 1954. Oh wow! You've been around...
3: Yeah, yeah. We've both been round the block. block, yeah.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you've been in politics, and you've you've always fought the good fight mm-hmm. um, in all in all your life. Um, you're not naive, neither am I, and I believe that's. Um, it's going to be the mother of all whitewashes, and it's going to. It's going to uh, if you look at the Widger report in 1972, the first one,
3: yeah,
6: regarding the first battalion parachute regiment, I'm a, I'm ashamed to say that I was in the second battalion as a, as a young soldier. Served two years in Northern Ireland in the height of the troubles back in '74. I'm ashamed to say that. Um, my sister battalion, the 1st Battalion, the way they conducted themselves on that day, the greatest of shame, even though they had uh, what, the the yellow cards, instructions for opening fire, legitimate
3: targets and so on and so forth. But that, that's gone off the subject. The no, point, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you went on to that subject. I, I don't want to put you through any uh, difficult questioning, but if you would answer this, I'd, I'd, yeah, be, I'd be grateful. What were they thinking, opening fire? Uh, you know, these things happened in India, in Africa, in all the colonies, but here they were in the United Kingdom with television cameras all around. What were they thinking when they began firing on the crowd? Well, the thing
6: is, in my opinion, British troops shouldn't have been sent to Northern Ireland in '69 anyway to do a policeman's job, even though the IUC at the time couldn't do the job properly. Um, but I think the worst thing in the world is when they sent the um, the Parachute Regiment in there because, yes, every soldier is a trained killer ultimately. Um, but if you look at uh, the John Stalker inquiry, um, they got rid of him just as he was getting to the crux of the matter. So, yes, I'm ashamed to say um, they acted unlawfully. Um, I was in the 2nd Battalion, parachute Regiment, and um, we didn't hear that much about it, actually. I'm not saying it was hushed up. We didn't hear that much, but the, the fact of the matter is, what drove them to commit such acts of violence against innocent people? Only God Almighty knows that. But you, you, it's, the train killers uh, have been sent in there, and I'm not saying they were on drugs or anything like that. Um, but God Almighty, I, I really can't answer that question. Only only, only the guilty parties could. Mm.
3: Great call, Paul. I'm really glad you made it, Paul, in Salford. Let's go to Dan in Portsmouth on Joe Rogan. Go ahead, Dan. Great show, George. Absolutely love the show. Thank you. So, with Joe Rogan,
7: I mean, I think the key thing for me is it's it's a long-format show, and he's done over 1,700 shows at this point. And I think if, if you get people to speak for that length of time, anywhere between two four hours in a podcast, you're going to be able to pick holes in it. And this guy clearly is in right wing. He's had many left wing people, you know, from our He supported Bernie
3: Sanders. I know that. Doesn't, so say, sound, doesn't um, sound all that right wing.
7: It, well, exactly. He's had Edward Snowden on there, mm-hmm. as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Harris. And
3: I, I think... It's about time he had me on his show. Mr Rogan, I, I, if you're watching, I'm supporting you. Give us a call. I, Get your people to call my people. Sorry, Dan, go on.
7: A- absolutely, George. I was going to agree with you. <laughs> I mean, um, there, there's so many UK people that have been over there, and you are the one on the list. That How has that not happened? But I, I think it maybe is the key. It, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe the money's not right. Yeah, maybe that's so. Maybe that's so. But, yeah, we, we should get you over there. But it's, it's that long format. And I think you know. I mean, you, you do course, this. Of course,
3: it's very difficult not to offend uh, anybody. But exactly. it, the fundamental question, Dan, is why do we need to cancel people even if we find them offensive? Because somebody else will find us offensive and will call for us to be cancelled. Can't they see that you live by the sword, you're dying by the sword?
7: Precisely. Precisely. If Joe gets cancelled, who's next? You know, and, and, it, and, it, and it, it could be the exact people that are calling for him to be cancelled.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that seems to me so screamingly obvious. I'm amazed that the number of so-called liberals, or maybe I'm not amazed, but they really have been gunning for him. The Joni Mitchell, uh, uh, who she? I hear younger viewers and listeners she was really great. <laughs> she was really great back in the day. Neil Young, I'm not sure we'll miss his oeuvre quite so much. But uh, where's it where is it going to end, Dan?
7: Well, I don't think it is going to end for a while. I mean, all we can see is we, we can see it in the metrics. And the metrics say that over 10 million people enjoy listening to Joe Rogan. And I don't think. Neil Young was getting 10 million listens on Spotify each month, was he?
3: I'm absolutely certain about that. Thanks, Dan, you've been great fun. David's in New York, staying in the US on Joe Rogan. Go ahead, David. Hi, thanks for taking my call.
8: Uh, my welcome. first time calling into this programme. I, I really enjoyed this programme. Thank you, uh, welcome. About Joe Rogan, like you, I'd never heard of Joe Rogan until I became aware of uh, the attempts to force Spotify to remove his podcast. <laughs> So it, it appears that the, the, those trying to cancel him were referring to his. It, it, he does many interviews, a lot with comedians and, and music people, and that, those weren't the ones that, that caused the, the people trying to cancel him to get upset. The, the, they, they had issue with his interviews with two medical researchers who were uh, espousing uh, contrary views with regard to COVID-19. So, of course, I tried to find these podcast, and, and Google is useless. Google only shows things anti-Joe Rogan, right? And it's, it's search. So I, 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 I subscribe to Spotify. Spotify is okay. If you have Spotify, uh, it was still a little difficult to find, but I was able to find it, and I, I would let you know. So you, to simplify your search, what I found was the, the interviews, the two interviews in December, one with uh, Dr. McCullough and another with Dr. Malone, both rather prestigious researchers and virologists. Uh, and with contrary views with regard to certain aspects of of the official uh, narrative on COVID-19. And so this is what I finally, just to share with with people trying to find these things. Yeah. Uh, in, In Spotify, Exactly, very simple. Just to pound because uh, he has. He, it's a three-hour show. It's a three-hour interview. By the way, when he does his interviews with artists and and, and musicians and and comedians, he sometimes gets high and stuff like that. You know, getting jokes around and fools around. But these interviews with with uh, these doctors, he was right on point. He's he's, he's a great interview, as you are, and he uh, he. he, he very, very, uh, what's uh, the word objective in, in, in terms of his questions and, and uh, intelligent. Uh, so, anyway, the, the, the search you want is in Spotify. If you have Spotify, if you're subscribed to Spotify, Pound Sign 1757 will get you the interview with Dr. Malone, a three-hour interview, and Pound Sign just that simple search, because that's the show number, you see. Yeah. So in 1747, we'll get you the interview with Dr. McCullough. And I, 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 those, those well, I'm sure are people
3: are doing that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't have, I don't share those contrary views, or at least I'm inferring what I think those contrary views are. Uh, you,
8: you might change your mind if you listen to those Well, podcasts. maybe, yeah. It's I
3: mean, possible. if facts change, so do my opinions. And if uh, if other people have got Opinions that make me question the facts uh, that I thought were the facts that 's a good thing isn 't it not a bad thing yes,
8: yes. Well, one more, one more thing uh, re- regarding that it, when nine eleven happened okay uh, i 'm in New York, so I, I was as angry as every as everyone in, in America, and even more especially because i 'm in new york and uh, and, uh, and I, I, I I believed the narrative until, it, until, until for months uh the same narrative was being repeated again and again and again in almost exactly the same way by every single major media outlet and it, it, it I my 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 started to go up it this feels sounds like propaganda i wasn't sure what what the real story was but but propaganda same with the, with, with the the iraq war and 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 this feels that way too i mean it, 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 it may it may be right that the official narrative is correct but it it feels like propaganda because it's it's blasted you it, it, in exactly the same way from every single outlet
3: well, well I, I'm right really right. grateful, uh, David. Thanks for that. I think a lot of people will be taking you up on your search uh, directions. Thanks for that. Gerasimos is in Ottawa. Ha-ha! Gerasimos, welcome to the show. It's a
9: wonder you but can you, cross the road with all these trucks there. You can't cross the roads. You're absolutely stuck. Every Everything is jammed up tight. But this is, this is uh, just an expression of... How the country feels about this entire COVID thing. Although we've done fairly well in Canada, uh, nonetheless, the the, gov- the the government's messaging has been less than perfect. More like in Bojo's uh, tennis court than than anywhere else. I mean, I, I think you could add Biden and Bojo in to young Trudeau. And has and,
3: Trudeau has Trudeau's political position? Begun to slip. I mean, he called an election. No. It didn't go all that well, though he survived. Yeah, he, he, Has he fallen he further?
9: He, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think he's in, a, uh, he's in a stable position for a couple of years anyway. He doesn't need to call another election, and, and no one's going to throw him out at this point. Uh, don't you think he, it's he, a,
3: a bit of a rum look, uh, fleeing the capital? Uh, from your own people, although oh, CBC yeah, the, said they were Russian. Yeah. they said the Russians I mean, no, were behind it all.
9: They, they did, eh? Good for the CBC. I used to produce for the CBC, so I, that was fifty years ago. So I'm not surprised. Um, it, it just shows you how it, Russia,
3: Russia Gate has got everywhere.
9: Well, they're just so smart, those Russians. I mean, of course, like, we have to be very careful because they could be everywhere. Yeah. You know, when I was, when I was a young man, my father used to read. My father was a survivor of the San Pedro de las Gardenas concentration camp in, in Spain. He fought with the international brigades
0: okay. and,
9: and, and in the Spanish Civil War. And I used to see him uh, reading the newspaper, and he would have a pencil, and and he would underline things, and I said, "Dad, what are you doing?" He said, "I'm reading between the lines because <laughs> the good. only way you can find the truth."
3: Very is to read good. Between the lines. Very good. God rest his soul. And- Gerasimus, let me ask you one more uh, question. Um, the I think they, to, as George Bush would put it, they misunderestimated the truckers. They didn't think there'd be as many of them, and they didn't think the public would line the routes to wave their flags and wave to them. Uh, Hortons, is it? The coffee chain refused yep. to serve them uh, and so on. Do you think they've had a bit of a wake-up call now when they've seen the sheer numbers that this protest has garnered?
9: I think that, I think that they found that the, uh, the weight of their knee, their knee on the Canadian neck is too much. And they're going to have to do a retreat and, and yeah, it looks like position. that to me. Yeah, I, I don't see any any way out of it. Uh, the, the people are very angry, uh, and part of it is part of it is that they're angry because of all of the misinformation. Another part of it is they're angry because people are just not strong anymore. You know, people are not natively strong. They they don't have the capacity. Let's say that someone in Britain had a hundred years ago or. Uh, some settler in Canada had 150 years ago.
3: Very interesting. Uh, uh, We'll need to explore that another time. Uh, Thanks. Give my love to Ottawa. Uzi says, Ha! George is fed up with people accusing him of being sponsored by Yorkshire tea. That's right. I never was sponsored by Yorkshire tea, and it was never Yorkshire tea in my cup. It was Redbush. But my good friend Adil, who is a Yorkshireman, gave me this Galloway's Moats, a right good brew. Very nice cup, very nice red bush, as always. Now, look, let's go to Washington, D.C. There's much to talk about uh, with my good friend, Garland Nixon. Garland, welcome back uh, to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, I don't really know where to start. Um, Let me start with uh, Donald Trump. He gave his clearest hint yet, didn't he, that he's running in 2024. Here's my question. If he runs, he wins. And how can those that expended all that effort to get him out last time allow him to run and win again? I'm not sure that he'll manage to actually even get to the starting line. What say you?
10: Yes, the, you know, it's fairly apparent now, based on um, the disastrous um, first year of the Biden administration, that um, Donald Trump, Donald Duck, Donald anybody will be able to beat Joe Biden um, in 2024. The Republicans are um, undoubtedly going to retake the House and Senate. I suspect there'll be numerous um, investigations into. Uh, hunter biden and various other things and i don't think it'll be a fun two years for joe biden by the end he'll be if he's still able to run he'll be beaten battered and bruised and if John, donald trump's in good health i think he's going to win now what donald trump did at a um at a uh, a rally he was having in texas was he basically said that the six or seven hundred people who have been charged by the um, by the Justice Department in connection with January 6, were treated, you know, to quote him disgracefully, and that he would consider pardoning them. And it's what Donald Trump does. He holds his base together. He gets his entire base excited. He gets them to the polls, and that's his strength, and that's what I think could carry him through. Again, providing that he's in uh, good health and spirit in 2024, um, I think that's what could carry him through.
3: Uh, Speaking of carrying through, who's carrying Joe Biden? I asked the question at the beginning of the show. Uh, It seems to me impossible to believe uh, that Joe Biden is really in executive control uh, of the, the most powerful country on the earth, and it doesn't seem likely to me that there's enough confidence in his vice president to let her control the country either. So I ask a question, who is running the United States?
10: Well, and that's a good question, because to start, um, before you get to running the country, neither one of them can even do a press conference. Neither one of them can put together a coherent set of, um, or articulate any coherent policies. So they try to get through, both of them try to get through pe- uh, press conferences without um, humiliating themselves. So. Uh, it is commonly believed in the inside the beltway that there are a the reason and in fact the reason for the inconsistent foreign policies inconsistent domestic policies is because there are a number of forces fighting for power behind you know a hollow a, a hollow and um you know decrepit administration
3: are they wagging the dog therefore in in the Ukrainian uh, imbroglio, uh, or are they serious about I mean, are they cavalier about the prospect of a European war?
10: You know, it's interesting you say that because there's certainly an argument to be made that this is wag the dog. But if you look at the history of the Victoria Newlands and the people in the Biden administration, you know, this was predictable. It was almost like 2000 when George Bush came in with the crew that he came in, and many of us who knew who they were predicted, well, we're going to have some significant foreign policy problems. So. It may effectively, you know, uh, distract people. But to be quite honest, it's falling apart. One of the things that's being heavily reported in the United States is the row between um, the President Zelensky and other members of the Ukrainian leadership and the um, the neocons in Washington D.C. So I think the the Ukrainian leadership has has figured out that they were being uh, fattened up for the slaughter all along when they thought they had a strong uh, political and military ally.
3: That's right. I mean, uh, it, it turns out that if Zelensky is regime changed, he'll be regime changed from Washington rather than Moscow.
10: Yes. And, um, you know, you're looking at something similar to what the um, Washington did in uh, in, in uh, South Vietnam and whatever, whatever it was, 62 or 63, where they, they coup the leader, they put in a more compliant government, but they end up with so much instability that the country, you know, eventually falls apart. And um, right now, it appears there's great instability. However, I will add this. One of the things that the last Few weeks, maybe few months, has dem- has demonstrated, I'm sure, to Ukraine and to, at minimum, the leaders of France and Germany, is that Russia is actually a more reliable diplomatic and economic partner to them than the U.S. Empire. Russia wants a, diplo- wants a diplomatic resolution. Ukraine now wants a diplomatic resolution, and the polls say the people of Ukraine and the people of the U.S. want diplomatic resolutions. And the U.S. you know seems almost uh, you know irresponsible and giddy over the prospect of what could be a a war that could end humanity.
3: Yeah, um, the Ukraine is only one of the tracks. Uh, China was the other one. Uh, China's being left alone. I suppose it's slightly relieved. It looked like it was going to be war with China. Then it looked as if it was going to be war with uh, Russia. But truthfully, I believe the United States is not capable of fighting a war uh, with Russia. hypersonically nuclear armed adversaries. And I agree with you. I don't believe the American people would, would stand for it. The polls are clear enough. Biden should negotiate a settlement with Russia.
10: Oh, absolutely. The American people, um, if you look, the last poll I saw was somewhere around 59 to 29 yeah. um in favor of um uh, the, the as the poll put a deal with putin um for a resolution if you look at the numbers in america the number of uh, the polls in america the the voters number one is health care and then you get to climate and other things like that and infrastructure so the american people overwhelmingly want the country to want the leaders of our country to focus on the the uh you know the 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 stress and strife that people are going through as a result of you know the pandemic economy.
3: Now, uh, you're a retired police officer. Uh, you're a member of the ACLU, the Civil Liberties Union. You keep an eye on matters uh, judicial. Uh, a liberal, so-called, I hate the word, uh, liberal justice has been prevailed upon by the Democrats to announce his stepping down so that they can, while they still can, control who gets his seat. Uh, Tell us about that.
10: Yes. Well, there's, uh, you know, Justice Stephen Breyer has announced his his retirement and there are many who believe that he's doing this um, prior to Uh, the Republicans regaining power in November. It's almost, you know, unless there's some kind of a black swan event, it's almost uh, uh, baked in the cake at this point. And he's giving um, President Biden an opportunity to appoint someone. Now, the discussion has been, will it be a black female? Apparently Justice, uh, apparently President Biden has said it's going to be a black female. But then the secondary discussion is, well, If the black female is um, Clarice Thomas, the daughter of Clarence Thomas, is that going to be good enough? The discussion now is definitely moving to the ideology. Do we just get another person who, you know, is uh, who checks off the boxes, but they're just another corporate puppet, which is probably the safest bet with, with with President Biden?
3: Are you telling me that Clarence Thomas, I remember so vividly the controversy about him getting on the Supreme Court, his daughter might be joining him there?
10: Well, that, I don't know that he has a daughter named Clarice Thomas, that, that, that oh, was kind of a, you know, a metaphor, but, but, that, but that was, you know, if you get my point, it was, it, I do. It was just any random far right wing conservative. I do.
3: It's, uh, it's about tick boxing. Uh, yeah. It's about, uh, about identity politics. That's how Kamala Harris got there. And she's turned out to be a, a disaster. How certain are you uh, that uh, the Republicans are going to win in November?
10: Um, the polls are overwhelming. But the other part of it is this, this is why I'm, I, I'm certain, you know, I do a lot of radio around the country. And what I find is the various um, interest groups that the coalition that makes up the Democratic Party is extremely upset, dismayed. Um, and uh, you know, I, w- I, I interview um, people who do uh, work for um, immigrants and and work on the border on behalf of immigrants. And the I find, especially the the, the younger Latino community, are furious with um, President Biden. We had a, a, a um, an election here recently in the D.C. area where it was suspected that the 100,000 Ethiopians who lived in the area might have turned or helped to turn the election for the Republicans in uh, Virginia. So the coalition that got Joe Biden over the hump is collapsing and um, I, I suspect that, that, that there will be a bloodbath.
3: Fascinating. Garland, thanks very much indeed, as always, for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. I need to get through some more of this uh, social media. Derwood says, do you think the current impasse between Russia and the US will eventually result in a pragmatic resolution of the situation? Yes. Dante says, Neil Young is an amazing musician, but his political thought crystallised in the 1960s, fossilised in fact. Roger Waters is also an amazing musician, but has grown out of blinding doctrines and evolved. And DDDV says, only those on the wrong side demand censorship. If truth is on your side, you have nothing to fear. Joe Rogan is a hero. Well, Farron in Washington, D.C., thinks that Joe Rogan is a hero or doesn't. I don't know. Let's hear from Farron, though. Go ahead, Farron.
1: Hey, George, great to see you again. I miss, I miss talking to you on In Question, but I figured I'd talk here. Well, uh, I've been a long it time- It is
3: a, a, always a delight to hear your <laughs> voice. It would be even better if I could see your face, but go ahead, Farron. <laughs>
1: one of these days i'll come on with my i'll come on uh, come on with my, your video
3: yeah but, please
1: yeah uh so i've been a long time joe rogan listener since even back when he first started in 2012. i, I kind of have lost track of listening to him ever since i started taking over as the host of the evening news program because you know when you have a show you get less time and do sure, what you want to do as yeah. you know uh but one of the things why i think he's just getting all of this is because If you've never watched his show, he will let anyone come on and talk about anything. He's had people from Alex Jones, who's been, you know, the master of all conspiracies, to Bob Lazar, who talks about how he had an alien encounter. He talks to doctors that are for COVID, against COVID. So that's where I think a lot of the problem herein lies. You're now having more and more artists like Paul McCartney. You're having David Grohl, Pearl Jam, all kind of joining this bandwagon. And when you think about it, it's like, okay, well, let's look at where they are in the charts of their, of their music. And, you know, the Beatles will always be high. But a lot of these other guys, it's like, hmm, maybe they're jumping in on this to, you know, maybe get a little bit more listen. To now. remind
3: people but they're I- still alive, father.
1: Exactly. But I did want to ask you this question because you've been talking about the show about Russia and Ukraine as well. Yeah, I've been talking about on my show all week, Tucker Carlson on Fox News. For those don't know that don't know, he's the number one rated cable uh, show across the board on Fox News and across the mainstream media in the United States. He asked last Friday. I'm sorry, last Thursday. Why does the United States care about Ukraine? why does the united states care about what's happening with russia and ukraine it's a country in europe we have no ties to it and even said to the uh the lament of president putin saying you know we're getting involved in their problems Uh, russia kind of has a reason to be mad at us right now ever since that george now you have all the sunday shows including this morning with reliable sources and brian stelter saying he is now a Putin puppet. Yeah, he's Why a Russian he...
3: agent. He's a Russian yes, agent. Like... like you, like me, like... like Donald Trump. Uh, we're all Russian agents. In fact, that trucking protest up in Ottawa, Putin organized that. He's behind it. He's driving one of the trucks. America's gone <laughs> mad with this Russia obsession, Farhan. And that, And that's my
1: question. Why is it that you even have this small inkling of, hey, let's look at it from the other side. Let's put the shoe on the other foot. All of a sudden, you're a Russian asset.
3: Yeah. It is extraordinary. Tucker Carlson is to the right of Genghis Khan, but he (laughs) insists on this subject on dealing with the facts. Is Russia going to invade Ukraine? If it does, (laughs) what does it have to do with us? Why are we going to spend American blood and treasure on, on the Ukraine? Now, you and I both know that Russia isn't going to invade Ukraine. I can say categorically it is not going to invade Ukraine. So why is the world being turned upside down uh, on this fantasy, uh, you know, kind of computer game, all these experts in the studios, uh, doing their military, showing their graphics. It's all balderdash. And that's all that Carlson <laughs> said. And now, and now he's joined and me as a Russian agent.
1: I, and I'm right there with you guys. And it's you amazing. And you know, it's interesting. A lot of Americans are starting to learn a little bit about the neo-Nazis that are in Ukraine. Yeah. And another question that he had asked on social media, Tucker, was like, hey, if we're so big on this whole January 6th and, and, and you know, um, taking over the capital and destroying democracy, and all of these folks were white supremacists, and they're being condemned here in the United States, then why are you funding the same kinds of people in the Ukraine?
3: Well, that is Perfect that is the $64,000 question. And moreover, yes. if you want to see what a coup looks like, take a look at the... Uh, Ukrainian parliament on fire take a look at the president having to run for his life Just ahead of the mob take a look at the Maidan in 2014 Organized by the United States and the European Union you want to tell me January 6th was a coup you've never seen a coup like the one that took place in Kiev in 2014 Far and fabulous to hear oh, your voice. Friends, Look forward uh, to Parliament seeing you again. The former pops. Conservative MP and Minister, indeed, in the government of John Major. In fact, he was an MP when Jimmy Savile got that gig. Maybe he remembers it. I hope, uh, because he was at Transport for a while, I hope he had nothing to do with it. It is, of course, Steve Norris. Steve, welcome uh, back. You didn't give Jimmy Savile that... A particular gig? Did you?
2: No, 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 no. It was nearly a decade before I took the reins at Transport. But uh, well, I it would have been answer. better
3: if you'd kept them. I got the answer. <laughs> it, it'd been better if you'd uh, kept them, and because we've now got cyclists driving down the middle of the road uh, in London, even though we've spent billions on cycle lanes. What's that all about?
2: Well, it's all about um, a new uh, set of advisory um, uh, issues issued by the Highway Code to add to what's already an incredibly complex document. You know, you used to think the Highway Code was fairly simple. Do you understand what traffic lights are? Do you understand what the speed limits are in various parts of the country and so on? Now it's horrendous. And it's all around this, uh, what they call this pyramid approach where uh, pedestrians come top, and then cyclists, and then uh, you know, I suppose uh, motorcyclists, and then buses and taxis, and then right at the bottom is the dear old motorist. Uh, and uh, you know, there's some logic in that in some ways because we do want to make sure that uh, that we keep accidents off the road. But frankly, I think this one really has triggered something quite extraordinary, which it is certainly that it triggered
3: <laughs> me, Steve. I'll tell you, someone with yeah. no. No, I would have. If I'd become mayor of London, there wouldn't have been a cycle lane left. Um, but anyway, uh, speaking of accidents, yeah. uh, Boris Johnson is in uh, deep trouble now, or is he?
2: Oh, yeah, I think he is. I think he is for very simple reasons. You know, uh, he's credited with having won the Tories, uh, an 80-seat majority. Personally, I always took the view that the two people who won those 80 seats are certainly the 30 red wall seats for the Tories were Jeremy Corbyn and Keir Starmer. Jeremy Corbyn, because most Labour voters Uh, Support the monarchy, support the armed services, believe in their country, don't like people running it down and simply thought that that was what Jeremy Corbyn was all about. And of course, Keir Starmer, because he told all those Labour voters who voted to leave the European Union that they were fools, they were ill-educated, probably from, you know, sort of C2D um, uh, clubs. Thick Northern racists. Yes, and that he would give them another chance to get the right answer. You know, something, of course, that you and I know the EU is very, very keen on. Um, So, but given that Boris is credited with having won that election, you have to say that right now, all the evidence is that Boris Johnson would lose that majority for the Conservatives if he remains in office. Uh, I don't personally believe in casting stones, let he who is without sin. But the reality is that Boris Johnson is now, in my view, and in the view I think of most reasonable people, entirely discredited. Uh, If he doesn't go now, then something else will happen, some other offence, because that's what Boris is, that's what Boris does. I worked with him quite closely when he was mayor, uh, and I know that, for example, he really can't be bothered to read them, official papers the number one requirement of any serious minister and that he relies heavily on a lot of other people that like some very intellectually clever people he's lazy uh, intellectually, knowing that he could always get away with a quip and a line and a quick scan and so on. And of course, in cases like uh, dear Mrs. Uh, Zadari Radcliffe, for example, now still imprisoned in Iran, um, it was a gift to the Iranian regime when Boris simply blurted out something that was entirely misleading and which led her into continued imprisonment. I mean, that's not even amusing at any level. But that's the man who is now prime minister. And you know, I'm afraid, I think when that happens, whether you like him or not, whether you want to give him credit for what he achieved or not, you simply have to say, you're the problem. And I remember, George, if you don't mind me saying so, that uh, in 1990, a far greater politician uh, of whose shoes Johnson is not fit to, to, to shine had been leader of the party for 15 years and she'd been prime minister for 11. But MPs realised that from that point, she'd become a liability rather than an asset and the Tory party took the necessary action. And I, I wonder about this current crop of MPs, whatever they are they're of conservatives and labor in pieces. it happens on both sides as you well know they're younger they're less experienced they're less worldly wise perhaps uh, because as far as i can see it's not a question of whether you like boris johnson or not it's just a question of do the tories want to win the next election and if they do they have to change and the sooner they change the better
3: well i'm glad you brought that up because i was going to we were both in the house when Good. margaret thatcher was defenestrated and Brutal it was. Uh, It was a kind of regicide because, as you uh, rightly imply, she was no ordinary uh, politician, no ordinary uh, party leader even. This was basically like killing the Queen. And uh, the Tories did it uh, rather ruthlessly on the night uh, we both recall. Um, If that were to happen, let's play hypotheticals what happens next? Because, um, you know, I've got to say, when I look along that Tory front bench, I don't see any anyone who is what we Catholics call papabile, who is capable of being the Pope.
2: Yes, papabile, is a lovely word. You and I know what it means, George. Yeah. But no, no, nobody not, else, no, not many else. Not many do. However, <laughs> let me say, first of all, um, That's a really um, valid point, because, um, uh, uh, you know, when you look along the front bench, I do personally think there are several people who'd be perfectly capable of leading the country and doing it very competently. One, of course, is Jeremy Hunt, who I voted for last time uh, when um, Boris Johnson, of course, beat him. Um, uh, Another, as far as I'm concerned, is Rishi Sunak. He may be young, but he's clearly extremely bright. Uh, He's very, very good with the media and, of course, I think he'd be, um, you know... Bummed. A very, very, very rich... Yes, but I mean, I'm hardly going to blame him for the fact that he married a very rich wife. I've been married twice. I'm always thinking of trying to marry a rich one, but sadly, you know, I love I, I love both of them. Uh, but let's not give you to be distracted. Let's not go there. Uh, yes, and then there are others. You know, I always remember that um, when uh, Michael Howard, the Conservative leader in 2005, you remember this, yeah. um, decided to stand down after he'd lost the 2005 election to Labour. Um, there were four uh, uh, candidates uh, who everybody assumed would be the senior uh, candidates um, who were, who, uh, um, uh, it was uh, Malcolm Rifkind, it was Ken Clark, What's his name, the little chap who used to be um, Secretary of State for International Trade as well, Liam Fox. Yeah. And then this chap Cameron came along and blew them all away. Um, and succeeded. So don't rule out, for example, somebody like Tom Tugendhat, who's thrown his hat in the ring already. That's quite a brave thing to do. He's a soldier. He's uh, very clear. He speaks his mind. He's nobody's patsy. You know, you know, he was also interested. a strong Remainer. How would that yeah, work? Well, you know, I, I think I, I, I no longer want to define our politics simply by leave and remain. I mean, I was a leaver. Um, Had had we remained, well, then we'd have had to get on with life. I don't think I'd be still arguing the toss. And I think most people do accept now that we're out and we're not going back. So I have no problem with that. I mean, you can say that Jeremy Hunt is probably a Remainer. And yet he would be my pick. And the reason is because he would say, as any sensible person was, OK, the country made a decision. We are now out. And my job is to make sure that we make the best of it. You know, one of the most depressing things for me is that since we left the European Union, we have taken none of the advantages no, which clearly no. flow from it. Absolutely. And to me, that's that's a desperate, desperate failing in, of course, this Johnson-led government he might have got us out albeit with a few ragged edges such as the union um uh, and northern ireland but you know the fact is where have where's the idea of being the singapore of europe where's the idea of creating a you know a low tax economy that's all about inviting you know global players to focus on the uk why do we sign up to biden's 15 percent corporation tax when uh, you know see uh, floor But as far as i'm concerned we should be outbidding ireland to make com- make companies come to us create employment create decent you know well-paid jobs i haven't seen any of that and that's why i would go for anybody um a, you know who will restore the integrity and the respect that any party needs if it wants to you know be in government right now i think people have more respect for the integrity of the leader of the Labour Party. It may be the most boring of men and the most trite of of speech makers, but nonetheless, you know, compared to Johnson, the the man is a saint.
3: Well, that is fascinating, I must say. Thank you very much indeed, Steve Norris, for joining us. I've got another legend on the line. He sent me to sleep last time. It's Kenny in Acton. Go ahead, Kenny.
11: The thing you can say about capitalism is that although it produces inequality, it also produces wealth. And though the other systems don't, they just produce inequality.
3: Kenny, give us a Am I still song, Am I still for on God's, God's sake? sake. Am I still on air? You're still on air, but I Good fell man. asleep okay? again. Oh God. Great,
11: okay? I wanted to talk about this uh the idea that feminists have called the patriarchy because I've been on a few dates with ha- some high earning women recently. Good for and you. So I took a woman, your took wife a woman I'm single, man. Come on. I took a woman uh, the Tanner and Cohen Bermondsey, to her Burns night on Tuesday night. Okay. And she was the director of a company earning £90,000 a year. That's triple what I'm earning. Okay. And she put it to me that because of that, that we're incompatible. So my idea, if feminists really want to overthrow this patriarchy, which will never happen in my opinion, is the reason it exists, the gender pay gap, is because men are financially incentivized to earn more than women because that's what women are attracted to. So if feminists want to start overthrowing the patriarchy and close the gender pay gap. They need to start dating men who earn less than them, therefore financially disincentivising the patriarchy, the gender pay gap. you see what I mean?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I do, I do. Yeah. What's all that got to do with Elvis?
11: Well, because he sung a song along similar lines, you know, money doesn't buy happiness in a relationship.
3: I don't and, remember uh, I like that song. Remind me.
11: Okay, it's called "True Love Travels on a Gravel Road," and I'd like to sing it now.
8: Go ahead. Okay.
11: How many girls choose cotton dress roads when they cute have satins and lace and stand by her man ever once, let in shade? Such a face how many hearts could live through all the winters we've known and still not be cold. Oh, true love travels on a gravel road. Love is a stranger and hearts are in danger on through streets paved with gold. Oh, true love travels on a gravel road.
3: Kenny, I've got a home to go to. Thank you very much indeed for that call. Poll result. Wow. 1,500 people voted. That's big for a second poll. Is Boris Johnson using Ukraine as a deliberate distraction from party gate? Yes, 62%. No, 38%. Well... It's been marvelous for me. He said nothing of subsequent all evening. See you next week.
2: You
0: are listening
2: to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com